This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 9th of November, 2023. Unfortunately, work clashes meant that for the last two weeks, I've been out of the studio and away from the microphone. But as Arnold Schwarzenegger promised, he'd be back. I'm back. It's going to be a straight run from me through until Christmas, which somebody in the gym told me spring is only 46 days away. Oh dear. It's a hard run for teachers. This is a tough time of the year, and there's an awful lot to get done between now and Christmas. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Now tonight's show is a show of polarities. Yes, indeed. Here I am in Northern Ireland and my guest, Rachel Jefferson Buchanan, Well, Rachel is in New South Wales, all that way away. It's autumn here, and over there with Rachel, it's springtime. I'm pretty much a morning person, and here I am doing an evening show. And when we get started, it's going to be around about eight o'clock in the morning with Rachel. It's pretty much a night owl, I think. Now, while the technical people join us up in the background, let me tell you that Rachel is a lecturer in human movement studies at Charles Sturt University in New South Wales. Rachel is a PE and dance and inclusion specialist, and she's fascinated by the moving and creative body. A lot of her work now focuses on fundamental movement skills, known as FMS. Now, if you're a principal in Northern Ireland, don't panic. FMS in Northern Ireland means financial management of schools. But actually, there's so little money in schools now, we don't need to worry about finances. There's nothing actually to to finance. It's almost easier to tell you who Rachel hasn't worked with But among some of her most notable collaborations are work with UNICEF and UNESCO. And she has devised PE curricula in Kazakhstan, Egypt and Myanmar. Rachel, are you there? Good morning, Paul. I am here. Good morning from Australia. Good morning from Australia. Goodness. just turned myself off there by mistake yes isn't it fantastic yeah um all the way from dark wintry northern ireland to sunny new (laughs) south wales what's your weather like go on make us all jealous (laughs) today we're going up to 30 degrees here it's a beautiful morning in albury wodonga new south wales and um the best time of the day to actually get out and exercise and do things it's a little bit cool in the mornings but going to heat up a little bit later and it's spring here yeah i know it's springtime for you so optimism and everything isn't it that's great and 30 degrees it's going to go up to 30 degrees 
Yeah, a little bit too hot this week. I think it's um, revving up for summer, which starts in December for us. We always have hot Christmases here. So uh, yeah. we're hoping it'll cool down a bit before um, before we enter the 40 plus degrees sometimes at Christmas. Oh my goodness. Wow. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Right. But strange, strange all the same for us, isn't it? It's a little bit weird when you've lived most of your life in the Northern Hemisphere to have a, a warm Christmas. And I don't think I will ever get used to that. Um, but it is nice to go to the beach if it's not too hot. And it is nice to um, just be able to get out in nature and so on, rather than being locked up, um, yeah. eating many roast dinners <laughs> yeah. in a cold, a cold wet England. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. And of course, you're not Australian. You are English, aren't you? Yes, originally English, but I'm a bit of a nomad and I have worked all over the world with my consultancy work in education, but I have lived in three different countries. So uh, born and originally in Plymouth in the southwest of England. Oh, and right, yeah. yeah, so I can do the accent if you like, I can put it on. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> And um, and then I moved to Switzerland in my 20s to work in the International School of Geneva there. And then I moved back to England for nine years and I've been out here in Australia for nearly 11 years now. Wow. Gosh, that all sounds so glamorous. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think tiring is probably the operative word sometimes. But well, I do... It could be that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like to experience um, uh, different ways of being and living. And, and I was offered a really good job here. So um, I guess that was uh, an opportunity not to be missed. And they also offered to pay for my PhD and support me to do that. So uh, that was one of the key reasons I came out here. Ah, well, those things all help, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In academia, it's very hard. If you if you haven't got a PhD, it's very hard to kind of move up a little bit and get anywhere. It's a very competitive institution. It is. Yeah. Well, you have your PhD under your belt now. And uh, I know you had a little bit of um, you just weren't right in at the beginning of the show. Um, but I did talk about, uh, you know, your background and, and various things and so on. And it's really kind of uh, PE, physical movement, uh, creativity. That's what interests you very much, isn't it? Yes, very much. Um, my original background is in physical education, but I studied in dance. And my second subject was special educational needs. Um, right. And originally, I wasn't going to go and do that as a second subject. I. Um, my whole family were, were artists and creatives and um, I wanted to study uh, art, um, but unfortunately mm -hmm. that, that collapsed due to low numbers. So I ended up sort of falling into special educational needs as a second subject, but it's been really handy because, um, you know, movement and also uh, any kind of disability and knowing the body through um, through its competence or inefficiency etc etc it all fits together really well so looking back on it it was probably quite karmic that i ended up doing that oh yeah mm -hmm. yeah so um where what exactly do you do now rachel i know that sounds kind of a, <laughs> kind of a blunt question but 
we no, kind of no, know your all. background and we're going to come on and, and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, fundamental movement and so on. But mm. what is it you actually do now on a daily basis? Um, uh, too much sitting down and being on a Ooh. screen, um, yeah. <laughs> as, as has happened to us in academia, because most of our courses, particularly here in regional New South Wales, uh, which is very rural, um, most of them have uh, gone online in the last, ooh, I would say seven, eight years pre-COVID and during COVID even more so. Um, we have students from across the whole of Australia. We're the largest regional provider here in, yeah. um, in online learning. So um, when I first came out here, to um, Charles Sturt University uh, here in New South Wales. It's a huge university, 50,000 um, students and five different campuses. I think we've got six now actually. Um, but basically what I did initially was um, come out as a lecturer in human movement studies. So I was teaching primarily health and physical education, working with um, undergraduates in our Bachelor of Arts honours and our early years degree and our primary degrees. And then later on, I moved into working with Masters of Teaching um, students as well as those courses built up. Um, now I teach creative arts alongside that as well. So I'm heavily involved in pedagogy work with uh, dance and also drama, music, visual arts, media arts, uh, online and also face to face. So that's my day job, really. Um, a lot of it involves a lot of screen work because, as I say, uh, quite a few of our subjects have moved online, but mm -hmm. we still yeah. do have face face to face um, subjects as well yeah. with practical subjects. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned sitting and of course we all do a lot of it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we do. Um, so where are we, you know, in, in terms of, you know, humans and so on, where are we in relation to fitness and movement? And, you know, are we in decline? Are we in the ascendancy? Are we stagnant? What's happening with us and our bodies. Yeah, well, body is my favorite subject. Um, so I'm happy to talk about what, what I think is happening and also what I have to keep up with in terms of the research that surrounds all of this. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad media press out there that doesn't always necessarily tell the truth. As you know, media can be very much distort the truth and catastrophize yeah. over things. Um, I would say overall, particularly during COVID um, times, you know, across those two, three years, uh, that there was a, quite a serious decline in everybody's um, movement initially. Um, but actually there was some quite promising research that was coming out sort of mid and also post COVID about adults and how they had actually enjoyed going out and doing walking because that became very popular cycling became very popular and mm. so actually we saw this kind of evolution of people having a little bit more time working from home having more flexibility with all of that and actually reclaiming some of their physical activity hours but what we have seen in the last sort of decade or so really is um quite a serious decline in children's uh, 
play time. Um, mm. And that um, has inevitably consequences for their physical development. Um, some research is saying that um, this is partially due to the digital, you know, evolution that we um, that we are in this digital phase, and that we've got too many children on um, digital devices too young mm -hmm. and they're not doing what they used to be so you'll see a lot of that in the media with this mm -hmm. you know oh the and nobody should have a digital um a device anymore because we're all going to end up obese and overweight and inactive and have chronic disease due to that um mm -hmm. but in actual fact that's not um true across the board. Some children are definitely engaging in digital devices too young. I mean, the, the, the statistics tell us that really we shouldn't be doing that before about three years of age. Mm -hmm. And you do see a lot of children under three who are engaging quite frequently in that because it inhibits other natural play drivers in children. So I often say this, and a lot of researchers say it as well, you know, we have work as human beings, and that can be our sort of driver, and it can give us meaning and purpose mm -hmm. in life. But in actual fact, for children, play is their driver. They don't work as we do, lucky them. Um, <laughs> so, you know, play is this beautiful way for them to express themselves it's their way of keeping you know busy and active and they are naturally uh, you know we have they're primed for mm -hmm. movement and i i always say children are made to move you know that's a, mm -hmm. a classic saying that i say um quite frequently in my research in my presentation so so what happens is that there are all sorts of, you know, sociocultural reasons, fitness reasons, all sorts of things like that, that actually affect negatively on children's uh, physical development. And I would mm -hmm. say we can add in school to that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, how is school added in, in the sense that it's, well, my research, my PhD focused very much on um, body regulation and, mm -hmm. and it looked at um, the way that the body is constructed through the schooling context. And it particularly looked at physical education as being a, a tool for certain ways of moving and certain accepted ways of moving. So mm -hmm. I looked at that um, from 1902 right the way through to 2016, picking out sort of discourses um, that came through policy, that came through education acts, uh, sport mm -hmm. policy, et cetera, et cetera, in England. So it was an analysis of what was going across a 114-year period in England. Um, and what I found was that um, government heavily influences through those documents, heavily influences the way that children are constructed to move. And then teachers who obviously have some agency in their classrooms, but they have to also follow syllabuses. Teachers yeah. then actually are the, the sort of stakeholders in the school 
um, context. And they actually then begin to um, work with these particular discourses. And some of the discourses that I find that were coming through in PE were, were very much sort of sport discourses um, and discipline discourses. So it was about the body being not able to be liberated in movement, even in physical education, it was actually mm -hmm. about we were teaching children to move in certain ways. And mm -hmm. I always say that, you know, particularly in the early years, when you work with very, very young children in the in early years settings and moving in towards primary, there's a lot more freedom on the level of the body that teachers can nurture there you know there's lots mm -hmm. of you know like play is their medium play is their you know they they're out on scooters they're in the sand pit they're mm -hmm. you know i think england uh, particularly when i think about my experiences there i always say the early years centers could teach the primary schools a lot on the level of that liberation of the body and the, yeah. the exploration and the guided discovery that they have. And then suddenly children move into these quite formalized school contexts, um, you know, from year one onwards, really. Reception mm -hmm. is a little bit more free, but year yeah. one onwards, we've got children sitting at desks too much and being far too inactive regularly. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, th I thought that's what you were going to say, yes. and. You, your findings were that policy then, you know, meta policy really has driven that, that children are forced then to sit down because the curriculum is demanding, it's overburdened. Um, yeah, absolutely. We've got huge, a huge drive in England. I can speak about that much more confidently because that's the area where my research is. But there are similar things going on here in Australia. We yeah. have a huge, uh, basically, because we know it's an, you know, an ex colony. So we inherited a lot of what, um, what we did in England here and we've made it our own, but it, there are still huge, um, similarities. But mm -hmm. in England, particularly, um, we've got this, uh, big, um, push towards more formal schooling coming in, in year one and upwards in the primary school and, a lot of the primary teachers I talked to regularly in England when I was living there was, you know, were actually saying that they, you know, they didn't agree with it and that they were far more interested in, you know, more informal contexts and that they they built in more autonomy and more capacity for um, exploratory learning within the formalised uh, curriculum as much as they could, but that they were... They were forced, the hand was forced really by, by Ofsted, by government jurisdiction and direction, policies, the syllabuses, the learning objectives, etc., that they had to tick off uh, and so on. And when we contrast that with, you know, we know that some of the best standards that we have in education, it's well known that the Scandinavian countries are far more... Um, uh, informal right up until the age of about seven and eight. Um, yes. you know, that, that's an interesting point, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. well, why do we do what we do? We want to be the best in the world in England, don't all nations, mm. but why do we head so quickly into this formalized instruction and regulation of our bodies? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And is there a price to be paid for rushing into that and, and trying to kind of formalize and have children sitting in rows and, you know, learning? Well, I think there is. And um, mm. a lot of the research that's coming out, you know, generally across Western nations, particularly, is that um, children's health and fitness levels, um, their physical development, et cetera, et cetera, and also worrying levels at times. It's again, the media catastrophizes a lot of that, but obesity, um, certainly overweight and obesity in young children, um, all of those are affected by the amount of time that children are allowed to be physically active and you know it's it's well known that this the schooling context actually deactivates children there's been lots of studies on that that actually look at summer periods for example when you have the six weeks of summer holidays in england as i recall um mm -hmm. it's a whole, di whole whole different seasonal thing out here um but in you know july august children in england um and across the uk i'm sure end up being far more physically active um, and more expressive, more creative and doing a lot more on a physical level when they're not hampered by this much more formalized at tables kind of instruction. And so there has been tests on children's um, fitness levels and their well-being levels as well, because of course it's intimately tied with health and fitness. Mm. And they're saying, you know, that at the end of the summer, there is this surge and this increase in well-being and health and fitness levels have gone up and so on. So uh, what are we doing in the school context and, and, and how can we try and have similar uh, body freedoms uh, within the schooling context to, to enable children's well-being to improve? Because certainly since COVID, we've had you know huge increases in mental illness in australia and across the world but and and i follow england a lot and similar issues there um higher levels of mental illness etc and we know that being more physically active releases endorphins and we you know we actually can use this as as a wonderful medium to get children moving more and to to be feeling better about themselves Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I would, uh, I, I wouldn't have the knowledge that you have and certainly not the research, but absolutely very big fan of uh, all of that movement and so on. And, but, but before we move on to an aspect of that, do we do PE well in, in schools? Do we do it well? Oh, this is the million dollar question. Um, well, if you read any media article in the last uh, 10 years, then you'd mm -hmm. say no, um, mm -hmm. because the media, I always say this to my research group that I work with, the media are great at, at bashing PE. Um, well, that's or, their sport. <laughs> their sport is teacher bashing. <laughs> it certainly is. And they enjoy it. <laughs> they do enjoy it. You've got to be very grounded to actually be able to manage that kind of adversity that's coming your way mm. as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly the same here in Australia. We have so much teacher bashing here in yeah. the media. Yeah. So, um, and I think PE gets a really hard hit by the mm. media 
Um, and, uh, and what I have tracked, because I'm quite fascinated by, by the media, and I work a lot in social media as well, and Twitter and Facebook. So I, I, I run Facebook groups and things like that on, on physical education and health and movement. And all of that, what I hear and see is a lot of stories from teachers, but I also, you know, to the contrary, um, but I, I hear a lot of this PE bashing and it's, it kind of, what, it, what interests me is that it surfaces whenever there is a monumental sport event. Oh, I knew as... you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And and it's like you know you need a drum roll here and really. da 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 lionesses yeah I don't know yes. if you read some of the lionesses media or you listened to Ian Wright talking about the need to have more PE yeah. and have more football in PE yeah. blah 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 and it just like it was like we we got this tidal wave of PE bashing. And also yeah. this, this, all these deficit discourses around what we do in PE. So if mm. I come back to your original question, um, on, on, that level, on the level of media, you'd think that we were doing a dreadful job. Mm. However, when I you know, go into schools and I watch and I observe and I, you know, I have a look and, and support teachers as well, and obviously support my teacher education students, Many of them are actually doing a pretty good job considering mm -hmm. the, the amount of training that they've had in physical education or physical development in the early years um, mm -hmm. and considering the time pressures that there are in schools to actually develop any kind of physicality for young children. So they're going in and there are, you know, we know that, that, that a lot of um, teachers are time poor they're overworked they're underpaid yeah. they have um, their professional status being questioned regularly there's too much mm -hmm. government intervention there's accountability measures that are relentless that's the only word I can find for it mm -hmm. um, which is all part of that whole neoliberalism uh, in which we're living right now but they're doing the best that they can but how can they develop children physically in two to three lessons a week, which is the average mm. secondary school PE curriculum. And in primary, physical education is often the first lesson to be dropped. That's my experience. And it's also what's coming through in some of the research as well. Quite a lot of the research mm. says that PE and the arts are often squeezed. And, yes. and that's, that is because they are thank you to government for this, they are deemed to be foundation subjects as opposed to core subjects, which mm. again comes from this deficit view of what physical education and the arts offer to the curriculum. And it also comes from this view of, uh, it's a very top-down sort of hierarchical view of, of subjects that is not based in any research whatsoever in, in the sense that if you do more PE with primary children, you don't get better results in maths and English. If you do less PE, 
you don't get better results in maths and English. So therefore, why don't you do more PE? You know, it, it's... It, well, Rachel, that's, that's not true at all. Sure, it's not. Well, what we've found is that children become happier and that there is a well-being effect. But what okay. we don't, but what we don't find is that we we see massive impact on skills and fundamental movement skills if there is more PE, because okay. that is a very complex space. There are all sorts of other influences on fundamental movement skills, such as whether you're overweight or obese, your levels of fitness, mm. um, whether you play regularly in terms of being outdoors when you get home mm -hmm. from school how much break how much playtime is given etc etc and it's not about the school being the solution to the development of fundamental movement skills because we must have a more of a holistic approach with family and community being involved too but you're mm. never going to develop every single fundamental movement skill to a proficient level yeah. through PE. You're never mm -hmm. going to do that, which is why coming back to Ian Wright saying we need more football in PE is mm -hmm. ludicrous. Sorry, Ian, I love you to bits, but mm -hmm. you're, you're never going to develop. And why would we want to have more football mm -hmm. in the primary context? Football is not what we do in the primary context. We mm -hmm. learn about the body and we, you know, we often say we learn to move and we move to learn and we, mm -hmm have many different physical activities that we engage in, not sport, and certainly not developing the elite future football team for England. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. And that's an interesting distinction there. I'm not, yeah, yeah, you just kind of said it. Yes, there's a difference between physical education and sport. And I know well, when I went to school, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. you're probably going to disagree with me, but no, when I went <laughs> to school, which was a very long time ago, um, yes, our PE teacher would have made that distinction. PE lessons were different from the sport that we played as extracurricular mm. activities, you know, on teams or athletics or whatever. Mm. Mm. I like that you did that. And it was the same for me as well, because I went mm. to school a long time ago, too. Um, and I know that physical education was always sort of sacrosanct, really. And I remember, I remember, I don't know if you remember going back to infant school and junior school, but I remember having these amazing, um, because obviously I was really into dance and movement. And so mm -hmm. it was a happy memory for me. But I remember being in little PE knickers and a little vest when I was about six, seven well, years old. I don't old. remember that. <laughs> <laughs> you may have had a bare chest um <laughs> but what did you say i may have had a bare chest because oh. that's how it was in the, in, the six, <laughs> in the 60s and 70s that's what PE, how pe was done there were no t-shirts you know the boys were in bare chests and pe skins and shirts skins and shirts yeah, yeah exactly the teams yeah skins and shirts yeah. exactly yeah and the girls mm -hmm. were there with our with our little vests and and shorts or mm -hmm. pe knickers athletic knickers mm -hmm. we called them as well or pe knickers um oh not bloomers i'm not that times, old it's four times she said knickers i mean we're going to be banned here <laughs> it's a pantomime anyway. it's a pantomime throwback they always say knickers <laughs> in pantomimes <That's> um <laughs> 
But I remember that feeling of, you know, with the music on and moving around the hall and dancing. And it was very free flow and very, very much. um, You know, we have these little cassettes, these music and movement cassettes, Mm -hmm. and the teachers would put those on and we would all just, you know, run around. And and, and it was was very liberating as a child. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously why I remembered it. So yeah. that kind of freedom, that those sort of physical activities that are more um, liberated, uh, which we, we might formally call dance or gymnastics um, yeah. in the secondary context, you know, th- those used to be commonplace in the primary school. And we did a lot of folk dance. We learned about patterns and rhythms and steps and all of those things. And that you know, that has a wonderful connection with core subjects. So, mm-hmm. you know, maths, for example, links to pattern and space and direction and rotation and mm-hmm. symmetry and asymmetry, et cetera, et cetera, all of these basic concepts. So we have ended up by evolving our curriculum. What we have done is made it far more formalized. We've mm-hmm. made it far more top down. So we've kind of introduced um, physical activities such as dance, gymnastics, games, which features primarily in primary, which we never used to have in in uh, physical education decades ago. We had just sort of movement and and physical education was movement in different ways, whether that was mm-hmm. due to changes in space or using um, objects such as balls or scarves or but but that is government driven government has actually decided that can i ask you then rachel and i suspect on this you're probably of the same view i am although again you know i have no research on this we were always told when i was at school we were always told and this is anecdotal you know uh, that pupils who played sport uh, especially if you played, you know, at a fairly good high level, you represented the school and, and so on and so forth. In general, those pupils were more academically successful. And I've heard you, you know, say or talk about similar things. You know, you had a lovely phrase there about interspersing and integrating, mm. you know, the physical body movement as a way to improving learning and concentration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that a fair conclusion that, you know, uh, a higher level of you know physical activity does have a positive impact on academic learning and outcomes well years ago we wouldn't have had the capacity to say that definitively but yes, now, yes, it was anecdotal, we yeah so yeah, so yeah. Now, but now we've got all sorts of amazing you know brain mm. research that's coming through and yeah. attention research motivation oh. research Oh, you've just reminded me. Yes, you've <laughs> just reminded me. We had the wonderful Dr. Aideen Slattery on the show here a while uh-huh. back. And that, you've just pinpointed what her uh, research is all about. Mm-hmm. And it, it's about how physical activity has a positive impact on, what are the two things? Attention and memory. Absolutely. Yeah, yes, absolutely. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'll just give her Aideen a shout out because I believe actually <laughs> she's just got herself a new job. I think, um, yes, somewhere I think is it in down the Shannon or somewhere. So congratulations to Aideen. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you there. Oh, no problem at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so in the last sort of five to 10 years, 
there's been a, a great increase in looking at particular case studies with physical activity and then measuring children's motivation, their attention, and also, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, their memory as well, and um, particularly concentration. Obviously, you can get similar effects as well with um, interventions such as mindfulness. Um, so I'm trained in mindfulness as well. So there's a lot of research out there on um, how you can actually build attention through other means. But it's now pretty well known um, research wise, and it's quite new research because of our capacity to examine the brain more and do it in a more kind of stringent way. Um, mm-hmm. we, we have the, this, this effect. So although we're not saying that all children will improve uh, their academic attainment levels, that's the difference, is that we're not saying that by doing PE or more physical activity during the day, you will definitely improve your academic attainment. That's, that, mm-hmm. you know, that has, that's too complex. That has too many other factors. There are DNA, nature, nurture reasons for levels of academic attainment. But what we can say with, you know, certainty is that you can actually see improved levels of concentration, improved levels of attention. But more than anything, which I always think is really important, is that children's motivation and their desire to learn can actually be improved through Mm. the introduction of more physicality which is natural to them you know it's unnatural for them to be sitting all day and Mm -hmm. through those that that change of approach within the physical within the physical education context obviously but within all subjects that we haven't be be more mindful of children's physicality and build in regular moments of outlets, physical outlets for them during the day, then we do see happier children, we see more motivated children. And obviously, there are these knock on effects to attention and memory and so on. Mm. So yeah, it's really interesting neurologically what's going on. Certainly is. Yeah. So you've said a few times, you know, that particularly with young children, there is that natural uh, inclination to be physical. And we know that, you know, they want to climb things, they want to play, they want to do this, that and the other and all. And it's great and it's fantastic to watch them. Now, my observation, and to be fair, my observations would mostly be post-primary, you know, 11 to 19. And something happens a lot of children in that intervening time And they go down one of two paths. So you get this dual kind of um, thing, but they're very divergent. You get a lot of children who very quickly become resistant to Mm. any PE, any sport, anything physical. We brought dance teachers in. We brought yoga teachers in or anything. They were very, very resistant. Mm. And you get the others who just embrace, you know, the Mm -hmm. physical and maybe go down the sport road. And I used to talk to um you know young fellas who were maybe part of a football club and they had a nutritionist they had a dietitian they had individual coaches you know it gets very divergent would that be your experience too i think there is sometimes this sort of binary situation as you say 
with mm. the, the, the sporty jocks, you know, um, mentality. Mm. And then and then you have these, um, yeah, resistant is a good word. There's resistance, there's reluctance. There's all sorts of reasons for that. I think, and, I, and I've uh, written a, a book chapter on it in the past, that the, the, the bridge between primary and secondary is a very, very tricky transition. And mm. that's the terminology that I've used. In the sense that um, we have these, as I say, these these natural drivers to move, and and nature's got it all worked out. Um, nature actually puts these drivers in us. They we're biologically programmed. It, you, I mean, you watch the average toddler, you watch the average four or five year old. They never sit still. Mm -hmm. They are moving all the time, and that's because they are wiring up, and so the body says you need to move and they're reaching, they're stepping, they're jumping, they're catching, they're doing all sorts of amazing things all the time. Now, what happens is when they are wiring up, and a lot of research tells us that by the age of about eight, nine years old, children should be uh, pretty much proficient in the, the basic movement skills, catching, running, jumping, um, jumping, hopping, galloping, catching, throwing, I probably said, repeated myself there, but th those types of fundamental movements because they're recognized globally. Um, mm. So, so um, my theory is that, you know, those natural drivers sometimes can sort of begin to wane. And that when we move into the secondary, which is a far more formal context where PE is compartmentalized, you don't mm -hmm. get the opportunity to be, you know, moving around the classroom so much in the secondary context. Again, the introduction of tables and chairs, which, by the way, there is no research in the entire world that tells us that that's the best way to learn. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's still there. Um, so they move into tables and chairs, separate subjects, you know, physics, chemistry, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then they have PE. So what we're doing is we're compartmentalizing children's physical activity routines and at the same time, we've got this, the hormones kicking in. And, and so and that's I understand major. that. I do understand <laughs> that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then, of course, we've got issues within secondary PE, and these are well known, and, and, and you know, research talks a lot about this, is that some physical education teachers can take a more sort of sport-framed physical mm. education way of doing things. So we have a plethora of competitive team games and we have um, teacher education students in secondary we often find that there is this correlation between people who want to train in secondary PE will end up being your games players who are your sporting jocks who will end up becoming the PE teachers and then they'll go on and it's a vicious cycle they, they don't ever really do much in dance or gymnastics or any of the other more sort of free flow areas and mm. they focus their curriculum more on competitive team games so so not all but 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 there is a large uh, amount of uh, games being taught in the secondary context and we know particularly teenage girls there is this huge dropout in terms of yeah. competitive yeah. sports and yeah. they therefore can become extremely inactive not only in the school context but beyond the school context. Mm -hmm. I think you're right, Jess. It's it's very difficult to watch. And, you know, 
it's very difficult to entice them back into kind of you know any kind of physical movement let alone uh, any sport or or anything yeah i think it's about for me and i always used to work in schools and and uh, work with teachers a lot in england and i used to say you know they used to raise these kinds of issues to me and i would say it's got to start with year one and it's mm. about changing the culture of physical activity and physical education within your school from year one for example i was out in um in the international school of geneva for 13 years and in that time they have a primary through to senior school so they have a uh, grade one to grade 13. so i taught every single child in that school from grade one through to grade 13. by the end of grade 12 13 we'd had hu a huge impact on those children's physicality across yeah. across that time and what we did was we changed the culture of pe so we began to introduce more choice um i developed a, a brand new senior pe um curriculum and then we put that out uh, to students and we asked for their their result you know that survey we asked for their feedback on it and we changed it and we developed it so that they had choices they didn't have to do competitive sports they could do more recreational leisure-based options and also they could go off campus and do certain things like climbing walls bowling um we did all golf swings you know we did all sorts of really um leisure-based activities that would mm. lead them into physical activity beyond school so it <clears throat> we know from the research that's out there that um most children drop competitive team sports sports when they leave school so my yeah. big question here is why are we teaching so much of it then mm. <laughs> and that's there's no reason for it apart from tradition mm. apart from teacher training there's all sorts of things that we need to re-examine here and say mm. okay so you know how are we going to make being physical more meaningful more relevant, more contemporary, more 21st century for our secondary children, particularly. Good points, Rachel. Yeah. So at this point, we need to listen to the news now. So we'll be back after these messages. Just Finance Foundation proudly sponsors Teachers Talk Radio for Talk Money Week. Join us from Saturday the 4th of November for a week of incredible guests and thought-provoking discussions on how teachers can talk about money in the classroom. Tune in, be inspired and empower the future generation. Teachers Talk Radio, sponsored by Just Finance Foundation, helping children manage money wisely. Visit our website for the schedule and details, justfinancefoundation.org.uk. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCT2020. 
TTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Covid inquiry caused shockwaves for government this week as it featured comments from a variety of civil servants and advisers to ministers and the then PM Boris Johnson. Language used by Dominic Cummings in WhatsApp messages caused consternation for many, including the BBC live feed as apologies were repeatedly issued for some choice phrases. However, Schools Week have featured the reactions of many education leaders to news that the then Education Secretary, Sir Gavin Williamson, was opposed to face masks in school because he didn't want to surrender to unions. Only after mounting pressure were masks recommended for staff and pupils when they returned to school. School leaders who lost members of their staff have referred to delayed decisions and changing guidance as unforgivable. The inquiry also heard from Lee Kane, a former number 10 director of communications, who revealed that the then PM Boris Johnson said we needed to draw a line in the sand on public spending commitments in relation to funding school meals for pupils not in school. Kane said this was a huge blunder and that the PM was told this was not the place to draw the line. Helen McNamara, a former deputy secretary of the cabinet, also said there had been a lack of guidance for women who were or might be pregnant and that this was significant in education given the demographic of the workforce. Schools Week highlights data from the Office for National Statistics which shows 139 teaching and educational professionals aged 20 to 64 died from Covid-related illness between March and December 2020. The ONS stopped recording the data in January 2021 although COVID deaths were still widespread. Unions have reacted with anger at the reports that lives were likely put at risk because of decisions made by government. Kate Bell, Assistant General Secretary of the TUC Union, said lives were put at risk because ministers were pursuing a petty political vendetta. The Guardian features a report that head teachers and researchers strongly recommend that parents and carers do their own research when choosing a school and avoid making judgments based on Ofsted reports. The article features a series of top tips from school leaders after another Guardian article stated that official inspection reports were not a trustworthy guide to school quality. The piece featured comments from former Conservative Education Secretary Justine Greening, who said ministers should consult with parents over what they needed to know about schools. Other former Education Secretaries David Blunkett and Kenneth Baker said the whole inspection regime needed an overhaul. 
former Ofsted leader Sir Michael Wilshaw also told MPs that he no longer supported the use of single-phrase judgments, which Ofsted and the government have both defended as useful for parents. Lord Baker, Education Secretary under Margaret Thatcher, suggested schools be examined on their destination data, describing it as a key judgment for a school because it's important to know what happens to them next. Meanwhile, if you are considering a school now or in the future, the leader's top tip is to visit the school. The article also recommends speaking with parents and pupils, looking at published data such as performance tables and attendance figures, although that data comes with the caution to consider the impact of COVID in recent years. The BBC reports that in Northern Ireland, the Department of Education has announced that there will be no extra money for teachers' pay despite rises in England. Typically, the devolved administrations get additional money when a spending decision is made for England, known as the Barnet formula. But the 6.5% pay rise for teachers in England was funded from existing Westminster budgets. Therefore, there is no additional money for Stormont to help end the long-running stalemate over teachers' pay. Teachers in Northern Ireland have not had a pay increase for nearly three years. Many teachers in England, Scotland and Wales now earn thousands of pounds more than their Northern Ireland counterparts. For example, from September, new teachers in England earn £30,000 a year. In Scotland, a probation year teacher earns more than £32,000 and new teachers in Wales just under £31,000. This compares to just over £24,000 a year for a newly qualified teacher in Northern Ireland. The DE in Northern Ireland said pay increases were simply unaffordable because there was no funding for the Northern Ireland executive to pay for it. Finally, the BBC also covered a speech by children's novelist Lucy Hawking at an independent Cambridge school. The writer is the daughter of physicist Stephen Hawking and she gave the speech entitled How to Make a Better World to 120 pupils at Sancton Wood School. The speech was given as the keynote address for the Thriving Minds Symposium workshops, giving pupils an opportunity to meet experts in a range of fields. Ms Hawking writes science books for children and described her books as giving them a way into science and technology. The one-day event was held for 120 pupils in years 6 to 10 from schools across Cambridge. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox. Hello, welcome back everybody. Rachel, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here, yeah. <laughs> that's good, that's good, that's good. Well, we don't have a lot of time left uh, until the, the, the show's really over, but uh, what do schools need to do, Rachel, in order to improve, you know, the whole movement, health, physical education? What should schools be doing? Anybody listening? to the show, what could they do tomorrow morning and over the coming days and weeks? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, when we look at uh, the related research, you, we, we do know that schools are central institutions for developing physical activity in young people. And, <clears throat> and so all teachers, not just PE specialists, have, have a really a pivotal role, I would say, to, to help support and scaffold children's physical development, but particularly fundamental movement skills, which are majorly learned in this 
period of time. Um, mm. Statistics tell us that 500 hours of PE are taught during the primary age phase. So that's a lot of hours where you can have mm. an influence on a child's PA levels. Um, I think essentially, you know, that some primary teachers and early years teachers are working on the back foot sometimes with the amount of training that they've had, but that that can be remedied within the school context if there is a, a community of, of practice and if the school has a whole school approach to developing children's physical development in similar ways to how they would develop their numeracy and literacy skills and prioritizing it in terms of their well-being and giving them as many opportunities as possible to actually be physical within the classroom context in any um, area that they're teaching and also recommending more play would be something that I would say would be more important because that's got masses of research out there more than a century old to say that you know play for all of us children and adults we need to play too um is very very motivational and very good for our well-being so um develop a community of practice um try not to confine fundamental movement skills to physical education and play times weave it into your lessons weave it into your transition times um for example if they're going out to break you could get them all to um stand behind their chairs and and try balancing on one foot and 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 that's you know a really good way to help them develop their vestibular um skills their balance on one leg is really important and and particularly important as we get older to keep working on our balance too so um and also there are lots of resources out there so um you know i I definitely um, have found lots of wonderful resources myself, just Google, Googling fundamental movement skills, play, etc. Um, and there's masses of resources that they can find where they can get assessment checklists and things like that to, to test children, but also have more informal ways of testing them on the level of um, conversations with them about what they do outside of school and building that into a more of a sort of family and a community based approach and also giving them mm -hmm. home learning, you know, maybe, mm -hmm. for example, say, all right, this weekend, I'd like you to maybe not in the middle of winter when it's muddy, but may maybe I'd like you to go and roll down a grassy hill, go find a hill, you know, and <laughs> roll down it because that's a really important thing for children's uh, multi-sensory um, uh, development um the, they can set things like um a hopscotch competitions um at home with the with a member of the family um all sorts of fun things like that uh, there's there's lots of stuff that they can do informally and so that it's not just the school's responsibility but it's a community responsibility yeah yeah um and and i know um you're a big supporter and promoter of, you know, movement and so on being fun and being enjoying enjoyable. And mm. mm. um, we probably haven't talked about that directly, but it's it's nonetheless it's it's a byproduct of everything that we've said. And I, I do. I think, you know, making it enjoyable, making it fun uh, is Absolutely. very important. And children are much more likely then to come back for more and repeat uh and extend and expand on those experiences i think 
very very true and um you know that's something that i've <clears throat> advocated for many years but i think that when we when we um actually stop with the control and we let the reins go and we're still managing the class but mm. when we allow them to have this free exploration and you know just go and work um, pick up a scarf and see what you can do with it and a chiffon scarf and, and watch it float and how many body parts can you actually um, catch the chiffon scarf with you know children are moving they're stretching they're bending they're twisting they're laughing mm. you know that kind of more sort of free exploration rather than line up here everyone has a ball each you release the ball when I tell you to you know that we have to think about how we're teaching children's um physicality as opposed to you know not necessarily what we're teaching but think about how we're doing it and whether we're actually bringing pleasure into children's lives when it comes to movement yeah rachel sadly we're almost out of time and as as is now traditional on this show i always ask a question and the question to end the show is if you had a magic wand and only one spell to cast, what change would you make to education that would significantly improve the lot of teachers? Yeah, I think uh, I've probably already mentioned that, um, <laughs> but I, I would like to um, definitely see less government interference um, mm -hmm. with what goes on. For me, I've watched the decline of teachers' autonomy during my 35-year career in academia and in school in the school context as well and with that comes you know a decline in morale and um the the feeling as though you're being observed and you're not regarded um as a professional who knows what they're doing so uh, i would definitely say that a government needs to have less of a uh, an influence upon um, teachers at the coalface and I think that then we would uh, definitely make great strides in terms of um, teachers well-being as well which is a phenomenally um, profound issue across um, the world and particularly post-covid yeah super duper let's hope that happens mm. yeah. so if if I'm right and you and I both struggled to work out the time difference this morning. If I'm right, it's already, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> uh, we were even using the internet and we still couldn't get it right. No, um, we didn't believe yeah. in the internet, did we? We didn't. No, we didn't. We were skeptical of it indeed. <laughs> we were indeed, yeah. Um, and you don't even need 30 pound phone calls for that. <laughs> I used to say <laughs> cost you 30 pounds to phone home but uh, it, it anyway. used to yeah very very yeah. great absolutely fabulous we have free quote unquote um internet yeah. now that helps us to connect across the globe wonderful yeah so if we're right then it's already friday with you is that correct yes friday morning time for the oh, weekend tick yeah. tick tick it's nine o'clock yeah. in the morning so my day is just beginning officially <laughs> yes yes so you're going to hit the weekend before us and you're going to have this wonderful sunshiny 30 degree fabulous weekend Oh absolutely i shall be out on my bike at four o'clock because i started early this morning with your radio show so <laughs> i'm out on my bike at four <laughs> great 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 well look have a fabulous weekend rachel it's been magnificent talking to you really enjoyed it 
and uh, all the listeners will get so much and there'll be lots of uh, information go into the show notes. Rachel, oh. thank you very much and take care. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.